in the hip hop world and still being relatively young and still being able to do albums, you know, you're always on the lookout for what Jay Z's gonna drop. <laughs> you're always, everybody is like, whoa, what's this motherfucker gonna say? He finna say some crazy shit. It's official for the first time ever. We have Hip Hop Hustle podcast merch from hoodies to t shirts to hats and even slides. Go to the hiphophustlepodcast.com to get yours. Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man. You heard it here first. He's not playing. No, Aaron's not playing. No fucking game. Oh, don't threaten me with the guitar. You got your ear to the streets, man. Much love to all the people down under. And make sure y'all follow the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man, because they're giving y'all nothing but the real shit. But yeah, man, appreciate the intro, bro. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's kick it off. Shout out to the whole Hip Hop Hustle Podcast. What's up with it? Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast. I'm with the one and only Malik Yusuf. Absolutely amazing person, amazing artist. Um, Literally, your accomplishments, I was looking them over again today and I was like, I can't believe I'm so lucky to have someone with such a resume on the podcast in terms of not only the people you've worked with, but the things you've achieved. I mean, Tony Awards, Emmy Awards, Grammy Awards, Platinum Songs, nominations. I think you've had like over 40 nominations. You've worked with like Jay-Z, Beyonce, John Legend. Literally the list of artists goes on and on. But man, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Man, that that is uh, amazing. Um, just listening back to it. But thank you so much for... um for researching that sometimes it's good to hear it, you know, every now and then I forget sometimes, but thank you. And I'm glad to be here. Honored. Well, that always surprises me because if we, I imagine myself in your shoes and I'm like, I wonder what I would be like after winning those awards, having those accomplishments, meeting those people. And to hear you say that you forget about it. Sometimes I wonder what it's like kind of, long-term because you've had long-term sustained success. This is not like it happened in a very short bubble, but does it, does it feel strange hearing it coming out of other people's mouths and you don't really have it in the front of your mind? Yeah, it does. Cause it's, it's like awakening moments like, Oh, right. Oh, when I was, I was making a phone call, I was driving here. I don't look at the, at the outcome so much. When people mention it, I look at, the duration of time it took to make it happen, to create the moment that people get to see or get people get to hear or experience in some type of way. So it just, it harkens my mind back to the, the journey to get there. Um, the waiting on the phone calls and making sure you don't miss an email and getting to the studio on time and traversing the traffic in LA or New York or whatever, you know, forging the relationships being a good steward and a good, a good relationship manager, you know, uh, and having custodianship over how I conduct myself in a space with people. So those are things that come to my mind. So I think that I don't, I don't have full access to the experience that people have with our art or with my creations or with my philanthropy or with my activism. I just, kind of hold on to the the uh arduity and ethic work ethic that it took to to create the thing so it just when people mention us I, I don't see you know the 444 album so much as i see going to jay-z's house 
talking about the album, going to his house, talking about other shit, going to the studio, writing commercials and everything in order to write the album, you know. So, yeah. Well, it makes me think what what drives you, right? Because at a certain point, I think as young people and as a young person yourself, you would have been like, I want to win all these things. I want to have these certain things. And listening to you now, it's almost like those don't matter, that they're a result of all the experiences that you've had. And now that you look back, you don't look at the awards. You actually look at the memories yeah. that you created on the path. Yeah, I'm looking at the formula more than I'm looking at the um, product, you know. I would assume that the people that work that that own Coca-Cola, they don't look at so much the the money. They look at, you know, make sure this formula is tight every time. Make sure that the manufacturing plant is in order every time. That's how I would think they would look at it because that's how I look at it, you know. Have you found a formula for your own success? Yeah. Uh, I think that that formula is is some consistencies there. And then there's some parts that, you know, are circuitous as well. I think that the first thing is, you know, move with integrity. Um, do your best to not um, feel slighted when it's not your turn. Uh, you can't be the person at the top of the hill all the time. It's a revolving, it's a revolving landscape um, and be okay with that. And work doing those downtimes when it's somebody else's turn to be on the charts, you know, although you miss it, you know, you miss the charts, you know, last year we were on the charts, Billboard, Grammys, I'm not nominated this year for a Grammy. And it fucks with me a little bit because that's become my norm, but that's somebody else's turn and that's okay. So I just work toward getting back there again next year. Um, and I think the formula is, you know, work work hard work earnestly work honestly you know give people all the goodness that you can um be as good to them as you possibly can not as good to them as they are to you that's not the same thing um and another opportunity will will avail itself the universe is only looking at your actions she's not she's not counting anybody else's account when she counts your bank the bank that you have with with karma is she's the teller the universe as a at the cosmic teller is only counting your stuff. So it's not counting who did something to you and you reacted to it, so on and so forth. So she's only counting what you do. So I think that's part of the muscle. It's it's very spiritual, it's very uh electrical, it's very energetic um from that, that standpoint, as well as there's some talent and some craftsmanship involved, but not as much as you may think. That's interesting. You you make me want to ask a lot of questions. The first the, the the first is because as any artist, as any creator, as someone who puts, you know, as as you said, it's not just it's not just work. There there is something spiritual in creation because there is some some innate part of us that is put out to the world when we make anything. And so I wonder for you, because you said, you know, you, you didn't get nominated for Grammy this year. You wanna be nominated next year yeah. but how do you separate your ego and essentially there's pride uh, involved because you're you're putting this work you're put your you're saying this is a part of me and and how do you separate you know the disappointment but then also being like 
hey, you know what? It is what it is. It wasn't my turn this year, but next year I'm going to work to make sure I get back there. Yeah, I mean, it's not really separation as it is so much compartmentalization, right? It's like they're all connected, but it's like the body, right? The body's all connected. But there's a there's somewhat a compartmentalization of the circulatory system and the nervous system and the skeletal system and the muscular system. You know, the respiratory system is separate from the they all work together in concert, but they are compartmentalized. They are different compartments. You know, the heart is controlling blood flow. Um, the lungs are controlling, you know, uh, oxygen but they somehow work together. They have, they meet together in the, in the lungs and the lungs, you know, take the oxygen rich blood throughout the rest of the body and so on and so forth. And I kind of see it like that, like me doing this over here is going to make this an easier thing to do tomorrow. And then tonight that's going to be easier to do that. And it's just a constant, uh, uh, Rube's Goldberg machine, if you will. You know, this ball drops here and moves the teacup there. You know, <laughs> speaking of teacup, let me get my tea. Well, I think it's it's interesting hearing you talk about it, and you talk about you know creation and the way you've you've also managed to weave your own spirituality into it. I, I wonder if that's a thing you've always had or something that is. Come, coming with time when you look back you learn the lessons the experiences there's there's a bit honestly there's a bit of it that's in my dna there's a bit of an innateness there um because everybody has to approach things from who they are you can only approach things as who you are um there's some innateness there but also there's practice you know there's cultivation that has to take place and you find these good things about yourself you want to cultivate those things and then you want to starve the things that are negative about you right you know, uh, I think that sometimes, you know, being spontaneous is good in art, but it's not good in dealing with interpersonal relationships. That spontaneity gives way to, uh, I would say, some deleterious points of how you interact with people. You know, if you're just spontaneous about everything, then there's no forethought. So that forethought has to come into a balance as well where somebody says something to you, how you respond and react is very important. And that spontaneity is not going to help you in that circumstance. So you have to be able to balance these things. And it might sound difficult, but it's really just really on how you structure your day. It's like an automobile. You know, you know there's pieces, there's times you want to hit the accelerator and times you want to hit the brakes, you know. Times to use the, the headlights and times to use the turn signal or the lane change indicator. So I look at it like that, you know, take the best practices. It's interesting the way you put it of like using your spontaneity. I mean, I think it's also a generation of our emotions. I think emotional stability allows you to be less spontaneous and be yeah. more in control. And yeah. and then as soon as the emotions kick in and you feel whatever you feel and you just let them go, whether it be sadness, happiness, anger, jealousy, whatever it might be, that's when the spontaneity, it may work sometimes, but it also may have pretty damaging effects, as you said, in your relationships. 
Yeah. Everything that has a benefit also has a burden, right? So it's beneficial in one way. And then another way is, I mean, think about this. If you were trained in your village or your group or your kingdom or whatever, your group to be an archer, that archery is going to be so, it's the, the you know, there's a sweet point where that archery becomes super, the accuracy is so important because when, when, when your enemy or your adversary is a certain distance away, based on the, based on the tension of your bow, where that, this is the best weapon you can use at a time, right? But if they're too far away, no weapons work anyway. So you don't want to be shooting arrows just because they go a long distance. You have to measure how far this arrow reaches. You have to find its range. Um, but there's a point where they get too close to you for that, for that arrow to really be effective. So now anxiety builds up because you're looking at people and you're looking at their eyes directly and they're coming with a sword. That's when you need to switch that weapon to a sword or bring somebody in that has a sword, you know? So these are mathematical equations. This is calculative stuff that you have to dive deep into in order to have the sustainability and longevity that I've had in this, in this industry. You know, I've outlived my peer group four times in this game. You know, I outlived the MCs of the mid nineties. I've outlived the MCs of the early two thousands. I've outlived the MCs of the, the 2010s, you know what I'm saying? I've outlived. So I've just keep reinventing myself using these mathematical equations, you know, and able to stay healthy and able to stay young and current, you know, and still run around with my, with my seven-year-old daughter and flip over couches and stuff like that. And, you know, get up on, you know, get my pronoun game in order for the, for the new kids that's coming in, you know, and that pronoun shit is very, very important, you know, to keep, to stay malleable, man, to stay, to keep my brain plasticity going. You know, it takes a lot of cognition to do that. Is that what you think it is? The difference between you and your, uh, your peer group that they were not able to adapt or not willing to adapt. Yeah. Able, able everybody's able to adapt, but not willing to adapt. You know, that flexibility is very important. You know, instead of when, when Chief Keith, came in i recall a time when i was at the mtv event and they were asking me about chief keith this was 2000 what this is 10 years ago almost what 2013 or something like that 12 13 chief keith i was like wait a minute hold on i knew you from chicago and you're i was like i was 10 times worse than chief keith at his age y'all lucky keith chief keith is rapping i wasn't rapping i was tearing shit up so this whole Chief Keith is bad. He's not worse than Malik was. And my friends, he's rapping. He's trying to get out of it. I was trying to be in it for real and stay in that shit. So, of course, like his type of rap. I've always talked about sex, drugs, and violence in my music. You know, as far back as we can go. We can go back to me stuff doing stuff with Nike. Me being on Commons album in 1997. You know, that poem was all about the street. 
and sex and so on and so forth. On HBO Death Poetry Jam in 2000, I talk about sex and violence and drugs. I've never not done it. I've just had, I've crafted it a little bit different that people could make be more digestible, but it's not different subject matter than what Chief Keith was talking about. So I think, yeah, when everybody was like, oh, it's time for us, the elder statement, the elder statesman to look down on the next generation. I think that's ludicrous. You know, I think that's, that's the, there's a, a air of ridiculosity to it that, um, that gives you some type of moral high ground over this kid. You know, they're like, well, it wasn't gratuitous. hundred percent it was. On Carl Thomas' album, I'm literally talking about in the year 2000, talking about selling drugs and getting arrested. So and that's an R&B album, you know? So why do you think it is so prevalent to look down upon new artists, to judge them for the same or similar content that everyone was producing? Well, like, it's interesting to me that you have so many examples of, like, people going and pointing out other people's flaws when they were doing the same thing at the same age. Exactly. Um, my, my, my summation is that just like love is a group activity, if you have a loving family, if you, like, some, if the leader of your family is loving, then there's more likely the people in your family to be loving and be affectionate and caring and kind. Just like love is a group activity, hate is a group activity as well. So when one person is like, I don't really like Shorty. And then everybody else that's influenced by this person is like, well, I don't like Shorty either. Well, I don't like him either. Well, let's all get together and not like Shorty. You feel me? And I think that that's a a huge uh, mistake and misstep because you miss the cultural gift sharing that you need from this next generation that's pending to be and I, I, I feel like also there's some usurped fear there too that they'll take my space and take my money that I'm receiving so I think that has that comes into play as well they'll take my position and that is a natural and it's a uh, it's a real live you know uh analyzation that it may happen but it has to happen unless you evolve and get better and come into concert with this person. And I don't mean performing on stage. I mean, how can, and sometimes they're going to say, I don't need you. I don't need you. You are, you old here. Oh, you older than me. You don't know what I'm, what's, what's going on. Well, study, you know, and if you don't, if not, if, if you're not willing to make some type of concession and, and work with these, these young guys, I was able to be in the room with Keith and talk to him and his, um, my, my OG uncle drew, which is also the one that discovered Keith. You know, and we talk a lot, you know, I mean, Uncle Joe. And um, it's like. The mainstay is that you want to make sure that you keep becoming a white belt. Bruce Lee taught this mentality, the white belt mentality. Keep going back to the beginning. Don't get stuck in your ways. Don't let those crystallized thoughts outmold you. You know, Bruce Lee would go. He was famous for going to a Taekwondo dojo, which is why he developed Kondu, which is the first real, in my opinion, the first real mixed martial arts that we know of in modern times. So he go to study Taekwondo. Even though he was a black belt in Hakido, he would go back and study uh, you know, uh, Taekwondo as a white belt. Come back, become a black belt, 
Then he go to judo. Even though he had a black belt in judo, he goes back and starts at a white belt when he goes back a year later and works his way back up because inevitably he's changed the game himself. He came in and changed what it looks like to be inside that dojo. So inevitably, the new people coming in are going to learn a new way, a new way um, uh, uh, that his style kind. Well, he he said there's no, you know, there's no style, but his forms, they look, they listened to, and they worked toward his form that which really innovative and new. And now he goes back and learns his stuff through another filter. And that's what I think I do in music. I learned my music. We we inspired everybody with 808 and Heartbreak. That was 2009, my nigga. I'm not going to be stuck in 2009 music. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. If I'm in a, in a, in a ever-changing field of music with ever-changing melodies and notes and deliveries and concepts, and why would I do that? Why would I stay stuck on? Well, my fashion is kind of like what I had in high school. It's still the same, but it became the fashion of the world. So I have some augmentation to that as well. But, you know, I'm in my paint clothes right now because I'm a visual artist as well. But we broke the rules. Why would we we come in and make new rules? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think that that is a good perspective to be humble enough to be willing to lose and to learn and make mistakes again. I think we all get used to success. And I think the the weird thing about prolonged success is that, as you said, you get comfortable, that you like the feeling of, I know what's going to happen. You retreat to old strategies that no longer work. You retreat to old music that no longer works. You retreat to old conversations that no longer work. And you just get stuck and then you become overnight almost but it's been accumulated over years of someone who becomes quickly irrelevant because you haven't adapted and i've been i've been listening to a book is 33 strategies of war by robert green i've been listening to the audio book amazing (laughs) amazing i I think he's one of the most underrated historians but as i'm listening to it one of the big lessons i concur he is underrated i mean he's celebrated He's celebrated, but underrated. Yes. He's celebrated by the people who know him, but yeah. it's like a very niche because it's like you, you dive into a, into a pool and then all of a sudden you just see everything underwater. You just see all the stuff that he's done. But mm-hmm. one of the lessons similar to what you've been saying is you have to focus on not using old strategies and you have to keep your mind malleable to what's happening around you. Because there is story after story after story after story, and obviously this is about war, but of generals using old tried and true tactics that no longer are relevant, and then young, ambitious new generals doing something ingenious, taking a risk, Mm -hmm. trying to change the game, and they inevitably do. And then all of a sudden, the old generals, they have no career because they don't know how to adapt. So... I think that is a really good lesson, a really good message to keep teaching. I mean, even I struggle. Every day I'm like, I could do something different and it's scary and it's like I feel a little bit of the anxiousness because you don't know what the result will be. But ultimately, I think it's the fear of mistakes that stops us from going for it. Yeah. 
I concur. Yeah, um, because mistakes don't feel good, right? The chemicals in the brain are, are, are actually um, designed against you making mistakes or miscalculations. Math feels good to the brain. Again, like you said, the outcome, the verifiable you know, um, outcome, the predictable outcome, it's very comfortable for humans. But we also know that comfort is the enemy of passion. You know, most people that win is when they feel like they don't have anything to lose. You know, you got to, you know, you got to start from zero. You got to start at white belt again. I'll say that again. Um, you When you didn't have it and it was like you you were suffering and you were like, ah, I got to get out of this mundanity. I got to break through. And then you create something, you innovate something, you invent something and you break through. Well, that becomes a bastion of safety for you or security. And you keep going back there, but you'll see that you'll find less and less uh, things that you need in your comfort zone because that's why it's comfortable. You've explored every corner of that. You have to be willing to, to, to tear that, that edifice down and start anew and take the chance of not making it again or at least leave and go make something new again. You know, Because enemy territory is still safer than unknown territory. Even if you know the enemies that you have to fight, it's better than not knowing for the brain. So the brain doesn't re- really doesn't reward you for doing new shit. You know, you don't get the cortisol hits. You don't get the the um, endorphins. You know, that's why animals will, will die because they'll go through the same old hunting patterns that they've been successful at. That leopard will keep doing those same trails, even though it's a long time ago the wildebeest stopped migrating there. And instead of leaving that tree that you've spent most of your life in as a leopard, you know, you were born under this tree, you lived in it, this has been your hunting perch, you've protected it, you've defended it, you've pissed on that tree, you know, thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times, and it becomes something that you know. And you know that like clockwork every year, but for the last two years, no wildebeest. So you hunt gazelle, which is a much a loftier task for you because speed. So you're burning more resources now. Now you're not getting the same, but you're still the chemicals in the brain of the animal still saying, no, keep doing that. It's better than marching out. Pack your shit. Get up out of there, man. Like I had to pack my shit and get up out of the places that we were. And, you know, and Kanye will tell you. I keep pushing the envelope on our musical sound. You know, Ye will tell you, I keep sending him shit. He's like, I love this. This is great. You know, that last one was great. I'm just trying to get one out of a hundred songs that Ye likes. You know, I'm just trying to get one out of a hundred songs that A Weekend likes. I'm just trying to get one out of a hundred songs that Beyonce likes. Because there's millions of people trying to get on that same project. And I'm going to beat them because I'm going to sound like something different. It's Malik point. 2.0, Malik, you know, 3.0. It's me, the core of me, with these new moves I've added. Oh, shit. It's like, you know, as LeBron becomes 38 years old and is still whooping motherfuckers, you know, that's 19. Why? Because he studied LeBron and changed LeBron's game. LeBron just added a one-leg jumper. He didn't have that four years ago. He didn't have that one leg jumper. You know, his finesse on the court is that's why he's still one of the top leading scorers in the NBA right now. 
at 38 years old. So it's the same for me, you know. I just keep letting my brain expand. I keep learning new new technology, new terminologies. People are like, I'm, I'm going on TikTok. Why not? TikTok's where everything is at. Learn TikTok. You might not use it, but learn it. Why not? Why wouldn't you go to a place to build something with all the tools possible? Why would you not utilize all available tools? I have no idea why you wouldn't, to be honest with you. I think it's a stubbornness. It's like a, a an unwillingness to admit that you were wrong. And it goes back to making mistakes. And it's yeah. weird. I think I have thought this for a while that our language with making mistakes is really poor. Like we, we look at a mistake and our, and you get, this gets drilled into you at school. You make a mistake on a test that equals bad. So mistakes become bad. Whereas mistakes are the lessons in life you need to make so that you learn. You don't learn without mistakes. And so this culture of like mistake equals bad is not helpful for anyone who's trying to develop because then they are fearful of that being, and they get told, oh, you made a mistake. You fucked that up. Mm-hmm. You, and then you avoid ever fucking up, but exactly. you also avoid ever learning from that. And the problem is not a mistake. The problem is making the mistake multiple times, the same mistake. Exactly. That's the problem. We say, I always say, you know, um, no repeated mistakes, no compounded problems. Don't come, don't make the problem worse and don't repeat the mistake. Those things will, whew. And when I say bless your life, I mean, bless your life. They will bless your life, man. That, that, those small colloquialisms and idioms that I like to live by, those are things that come from ancient times. Those are, those are pillars of our, of our self-sustainability as humans. And we have to have those. We have to have those those tropes that that give us information on what to study and where to look. You know, success can come through any medium. Success doesn't have parameters like we think it does. You know, um, we're being successful now because we're utilizing the technology that we have. Back in the days, we might have been two people that. That traded let that traded letters with each other, you know. We might have been people that traded letters with each other through the Pony Express, and you would read your letters to, to people in your town. I would read your letters to people in my town. We still have had some modicum of success, you know. We still would have had, in, in some ways, I feel like maybe maybe the ability to not fail so much. Well, well, fail, but to not sustain the failure, like to, so for failure, I feel like it's planned, you know, practice is planned failure. So failure after failure after failure, you're bound to have a success because it can't abide. I told my daughter when she was eight, she was like, I'm not good at math. So let me, let me see. I said, so you fail at math? She said, yeah. I said, let me see you fail at math every day for eight weeks. I bet you can't. I bet you can't fail eight weeks straight. You might not become the greatest. You might not become a mathematician, but you won't fail at math for eight weeks straight. It's not possible. Let me give you two months of doing math every day. You know, so 
very important, man, to think in that way. And you, you said, you said, like you said, man, people are afraid to see, let people see them floundering after you've had success because people look at it like, oh, you slipped backwards. Yeah, I slipped backwards, man. I slipped backwards into another bastion, though. I just slipped backwards into the same thing. And songwriting for me and production is the same. I, I listen to the hi-hats that, that Fireman uses, who's one of my artists. I listen to his hats. I'm not a big fan of, of hi-hats. I use them very sparingly. But I look what he do, what he's doing and how he's making hi-hats because he's having hit records. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, okay, he's doing something right here. You know? So let me adjust my sensibility. It's me. It's not the hi-hats that's doing something wrong. It's my sensibility that's not on par with what I need to be. It's just interesting talking to you and the more you explore your own thoughts and your ideas, the more you just go, it's on me. Mm-hmm. It's it's I, The world is not to blame. The world, these people, everybody else is not to blame for the things that I happen to not like or the things that I happen to struggle with. There's only one person. That's that dude looking at me in the mirror. That's right. That, and in a way, and probably in the only way, that's what accounted to your success is that you've taken supreme accountability for your own path as opposed to giving accountability to everybody else and things outside your control. Yes. My my accountant has always told me, he said, hey, what percentage of you do you control? And, you know, the answer's got to be 100%. I control myself 100%. How I act, how I react, how I comport myself in this world, how I interact with other people, my interpersonal relationship struggles and conflicts, how I resolve them. He said, okay, how much do you control of another person? And the answer is zero. So we spend more time trying to control things outside of us. And I say things, I say nouns, persons, places, and things that we have zero control over. As opposed to spending time on a thing we have 100% control over, which is us and the way we think and how, what we eat and what time we go to sleep and what time we wake up and where we go, how we travel, you know, how we migrate from place to place, you know, you're in Australia. And if you say, Hey Malik, come to Australia, then I could, then that gives me a chance to, to quantify, you know, or qualify should I be in Australia or not? And that forces me to think about what can I do when I'm on that side of the world? What's the policy of New Zealand? New Zealand is close. Okay, what, what do I do when I'm on that side of the world? And calculate that. Does it make sense for me to go? What's the timeline? What do I have to do here in America? So these are all my works. And it's exhaustive to think that. The easy thing is to be like, man, what you got for me? Or what do I have for myself? What have I put together? To make a trip to Australia worth it. The podcast is worth it. You know, maybe going to a a place to perform. If I don't have those things set up, then I'm going to look at it as a non-value opposition. I mean, a a non-value proposition. I'm going to be opposed to it. I'm going to be opposed to it. I'm going to be somewhat offended. What do you think? What do you take me for? A person with resources and relationships, what I take you for? So. It's 100% up to me. Have I done enough to build this um, network that makes it possible for me to come? Then I say, okay, everybody wanted me to come to Australia. I set a date with you and tell them, hey, 
Y'all been wanting me to come? I'm coming on this day. I'm doing a hip hop hustle podcast. Hey, can we do it in a big space? Okay, cool. Bet. All right. Can we sell tickets? It's my innovation. I have to do that. And people don't do that, so they get upset. And then they blame other people. And that's the easiest thing to do. And then they also tell them why the other people could do it, but they could never do it. Exactly. They're like, hey, Malik did it just because yeah, he knows. You know who he knows? You know who he worked with? You know mm-hmm. you know he know Jay? Mm-hmm. You know he'd mm-hmm. been to that motherfucker's house? You, right. you know you know that's the only reason he got that, right? You know that's the – and then they, <laughs> they start pointing fingers and they start going, oh, his success is not real success. He, he Other people hooked yeah. him up. And and like, to be fair though, your relationships are all your work. It doesn't matter. This this is what drives me crazy. You happen to be in a situation where everyone you've ever met in your life you met for the first time. Exactly. You take the opportunity to either build and foster a relationship and potentially even see the potential in who they are. I mean, I was reading you were you met Common before Common was Common. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't have to be friends with him. No. In the same way that childhood friends, I spoke to Cuban Link recently. He was friends with Big Pun before yeah. Big Pun was Big Pun. Yep. But it's true. Okay. They helped you. They they put you on because you're friends. But you built that relationship. That relationship isn't one way. That relationship is over years and years and years of trust and loyalty of you've been around when I wasn't shit, when no one knew my name, when everybody doubted me and when I was starting to come up and people were like, what the fuck are you doing? Yep. And you stood by my side. You always had my back. And, of course, I'm going to repay you. So Mm -hmm. I find it really weird all the hate that people put on relationships that take time, effort, and energy to build. Just because you didn't have that effort or the energy or the drive to do it, that's not their fault. It's not. And I mean, you know, in relationships, they seem like a cheat code and they can be. They can be. But let's think about, oh man, Malik, of course he, because he knew Travis Scott. He met Travis Scott. Well, guess what? Travis Scott was on MySpace for everyone else to meet too. Anybody could have met Travis Scott when he was jock on MySpace. I took time to talk to him on MySpace when he was nobody in 2007. I didn't meet him physically till 2012 when we did the Sin City song. That was his beat. And then I was like, you should put a verse on here. And I put Saha and put Travis on, on his Travis on his own beat. And that was, that's my still number one performing song with my voice on it. That's my biggest song with my that has my voice on it. So that was my decision to respond to this kid. Who what well, man? Everybody didn't have money, Malik. They can't have time to. No, that's not the case. You had the luxury. No, that's not true. Most people with money don't talk to people that don't have money. It's also my nature and my ideology to always see what's next, to always look and see what possibly could happen next. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I've I've helped people out way more than I've ever helped Travis, and they. Sit it on me, you know what I'm saying? Spit in my face, and I'm just like, all right, you sure that's what you want to do with your Malik relationship? Once you do it, it's done, though. You understand that? Once you do that, it's a wrap, and it's fine. You know, maybe you have something that that you want to get off your chest. Maybe you never liked me, 
Maybe the, the love you have for me was fake. It doesn't really matter to me, though. So when people say, oh, it's because of Malik's relationship with this person. Relationships are expensive. They take resources, and those resources are time. They take effort. They take energy, sometimes money. Most times money, because somebody says, hey, Malik, come here. I can't say I don't have gas money. I can't say I don't have money for a hotel. I can't say I don't have money for a flight. I can't say I don't have a car. Whatever happens, you got a skateboard, there, skateboard. You know, a lot of people won't go. They want to, I saw, and I said this in another interview I did. I saw a dude walking. Now, I always say this. I saw a dude walking, but it looked like he was walking from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. He had on his clothes. He had his suitcases. He's on the side of the road. And everybody's like, oh, my God, so impressive that he's walking. He's going to walk. He loves his job. He loves his career so much. He loves his dream so much that he's going to get to L.A. no matter what. Now, it's a couple hundred miles, right? He'll probably walk 30 miles a day, right? Let's say it's 300 miles. At 30 miles a day takes him 10 days to get there, right? It's two work weeks. I would propose to him to go work a hamburger job for two weeks, get the check, have some money in his pocket, say, hey, I want to go to L.A., transfer the job to L.A., buy a bus ticket, and ride the six hours to go to L.A. from Las Vegas. And then be able to go the next day and work and have more money so they can have a place to live. That's when you love what you're doing. That's when you love your dream. Not the Rome antic, not the antics of Rome, not the gladiatorial sports of she, oh, and bags of blood exploding and all that bullshit. Because anybody getting killed, they're not killing these big, strong ass men in the arena. Why would they? That makes no sense. Well, I, I wonder why it is that we romanticize the risk at all, the the forget everything, lose all sheds of any sort of backup, lose any shed of like a well-formulated plan, go in with nothing, the romanticized journey of like, you know, the struggling artist, the romanticized journey of like, I don't have anyone. I don't have anything. I'm just going and I'm not coming with a plan and I'm going to figure it out when I get there. I wonder why it is that we push that narrative as opposed to, hey, get you can go there, but go with a plan. Go with an idea. Have, okay, you want to be a successful artist. What are the steps you're going to take? How are you going to live while you're working to be an artist versus which is like, go, go. Take the risk. Don't yeah. have a plan. Yeah. It's um it's a neurochemical equation. So the brain is structured to reward certain things and then reward certain things heavily. So the risk taker, uh the one that goes out on the limb, because that's where the biggest fruit is, the low-hanging fruit is usually not that tasty, it's not as sweet. It's been picked off that vine several times. It's not refilled the sugar, so on and so forth. Um, I think that the human brain must solve. It gives you a bigger reward to solve for 
danger. So risk and danger are in, in partnership, right? When you're taking a risk, it's because you're you're going in the face of something dangerous. It's dangerous to go out with no plan. And the brain must solve for danger first. The first thing we must solve for over anything else. And we get a pretty big uh, cortisol hit. We get a dopaminic hit. There's some serotonin that comes in. Also, you know, dopamine activates the adrenaline, which makes it sexy, right? The sex hormone, adrenaline, one of the sex hormones, but adrenaline. And it, so it makes you feel on fire, like, ooh, passion, the passion of fire. So that adrenaline, and adrenaline also activates your um, immune system. So you feel strongly about something. You feel powerful about it. Like, I feel strongly about this. But that those chemicals will subside very soon. So on that second day, but he got all the, all the rewards, chemicals from people saying, yes, go ahead and do it. You're going to make it. As opposed to me saying, my nigga, nah, go work at motherfucking in and out or some shit. Go work at McDonald's. Take those two weeks. Work at McDonald's. Take that money. Do this. Call the other McDonald's. But that's not sexy because it's not a quick hit. It's not the quick neurochemical response that you want, that you want to feel. It's not the dopamine. It's not dope. Doesn't feel like a drug to you. But you understand that drugs also have uh, a negative corollary where quality of life declines. There's a declination in quality of life when you keep hitting drugs, you know, like people say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's healthy to try that. Well, you know, there's vitamin A in cocaine. How much cocaine you want to do to get vitamin A though? Trust me, not, you don't want to do a lot of cocaine to get the vitamin A. It's other stuff with vitamin A in. But that, that dopamine, you know, those endorphins, all those chemicals, those five or six chemicals that activate makes you feel good and other people respond to it because it makes them their chemicals feel good too based on our mirror neurons we're experiencing we're vicariating through this person with this struggle that's why you can see a person's life in a two-hour movie it's like oh i see the whole thing this whole thing played out because the brain is filling in gaps of and it's making you feel like well, that was me so that's why and those guys they usually never make it you know there's some you know i had a homie um he uh you know, LT Hutton, he took a scooter from Chicago all the way to LA. He rode a scooter, like, fuck it, I gotta go out there and produce. And he made it, but he had a plan. He had talked to some people, he had set some shit up for himself, you know. So yeah, man, that's um that's kind of why it's like that. And people love to see that over and over and over again, you know. It's like American Idol. People love the drama of American Idol, but those artists don't usually go on to have huge careers because the excitement is over the risk is over the person giving it putting it all in line and going to LA to sing songs for you and after that we need a new dopamine hit we need we need a new we need a new fix from a new artists and then also why. it it's the same like I remember first Australian Idol I mean that was the biggest in Australia as well so like yeah. you had American Idol Australian Idol yeah I don't remember any motherfucker from Australian Idol 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, doesn't matter how many. I don't remember a single artist. I remember one and two from year one. 
Yep. Guy Sebastian, Australian Noel, they're the only two I remember. In the same way, I only know Kelly Clarkson. I don't know anybody else from American Idol. <laughs> exactly. She was the OG winner. She was the mm-hmm. original. But I mm-hmm. think you're right because we get bored of that. Yep. All right, yeah. we saw. Okay, done. Yeah, the chemicals Next. go down. The chemicals, they subside. And once the chemicals subside, your brain is not, you know, that's, that's chasing waterfalls, what we do in our brain. What, what, what do the babies from TLC say? They say, don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. Please stick to those. That's where all the nutrients are. That's where all the, the, live, the livestock is. That's where all the, the life is. The fish are not in the waterfall. It's exciting. Ooh, it's invigorating. This flowing water. But the lakes is where the, where the fish are. The various species of fish. The, the fauna and the flora is all here. You know, there's nothing really growing under a waterfall. A plant can't grow under the waterfall. The plants that you need are here. You know, the watercress instead is all over here on the banks of the river. The bank is where the riches are. You know what I'm saying? So the other stuff is cool. The waterfall has to exist, you know, to traverse the space between up here and down here with water flowing. But that's all you really need for that. You know, you want to get away from that and get to this sustainable component, you know, and get the plan going. And waterfalls are dangerous. They are. You know, you- that, that, I mean, it, uh, it's so it's so it's interesting because when we break it down, of like, I kids love looking at waterfalls. It's cool as shit. You see like this massive body of water. It's coming down, and you're like, oh, they're mesmerized. You see the look on their face. They're like, they never seen something so impressive. But if you mm-hmm. stood under that motherfucker, the amount of weight and the pressure that's on you, the rocks, and then you actually realize that, yeah, you got to be careful. You're you're actually fucked. Yes, and you ch- and, and don't try to breathe. You are, you're on land, but you can't breathe because water is, is drenching you. So, yeah, you have to, you know, take it for what it is. And then you have to, you know, what percentage of your life do you want to be, you know, traversing the waterfall? Probably 1%, maybe? Maybe half a percent? You want to really be on those streams and lakes. That's where you can row your boat, you know. You can you can talk to your lover, you know. You can, you can eat your sandwiches. You can fish. Do all the things that's needed to do, to to have to to have life and have it abundantly. So yeah, that's why I think that's what it is. So we like to see those guys that's risking it all. But you know, calculated risk. You know, take the risk. You cal- even though the, the world might not see you taking that calculation, you should do it anyway. You should do the work, and then let them see the 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 fun part of it maybe. But it's the work, man. Nobody likes to see those workshop movies. They like to see you know. I could imagine sculptors in the day, you know, people looking at uh, Michelangelo and, you know, him with the Venus or with the, the Venus de Milo or, or the David or whatever the fuck. Take, nobody wanted to see them chopping and removing the marble, the marble and bringing it to his, his, to his, to his studio. That's not where the, that's, that's the real part though. Without that, nothing else goes. Without seeing the interns, crafting out and, and etching out how much of this they're going to use to make this sculpture. And he's just giving them the idea. They're doing all the work. I think Thomas Edison said a lot of people, a lot of people don't find success because it shows up in work clothes. They're not looking for the work, you know? And that's why I say about this game. And it's not, it's not super attractive. You know, it's not super attractive to be where I'm at right now finna paint and shit and do all the hard work in order to sell 
a painting. You know what I'm saying? Uh, all this shit is to, 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 you know, practicing what does this look like versus this? What does this look like to people versus this one? The same colors. How did I mix them? You know, so on and so forth. So, and then maybe these don't even go anywhere. Maybe these don't even work at all. You know? You know, I got to say, I'm a big fan. I, I love that you like quotes because I'm a big quote person. I think looking at the wise people in our past and learning from their wisdom, um, I recently learned to quote, and it's the funniest quote I've ever heard. It's mm. by Betty White. She said, uh, everything gets better with age except for a banana. Yeah. <laughs> except for a banana. <laughs> Such, made me laugh so much just Ooh. like, I think there's yeah. something to to I don't know there is parts of everyone that is so quotable that every now and again will come up with like this this spark of like oh that is really profound. It may not sound like anything at the time but there is some profoundness to it and I think if we can tap into the generations gone of of what they talk about but something I actually wanted to ask you about was you know I I speak to a lot of artists. I speak to people from all walks of life. And a common thread that I get is like, Jay-Z is arguably the greatest. Uh, amongst a lot of artists, they will also say that to me personally, as an artist, as someone who's watched another person carry themselves and build an empire and become literally more than a rapper, he's become a business person, he's become a producer, he's become more. When you see him and when you have that relationship, what's your perspective on, you know, where he is in the scheme of hip-hop? I, I mean, in the scheme of what he's capable of and then what he obviously means to a lot of people. The first thing I think about Jay-Z is he's intimidating. You know? How so? He he has an expectation of you to rise to your greatness. He doesn't even have a construct in his mind that you're not coming to him as your already maxed out great self. From whatever your tools are at this point in your life, he expects you to be coming to him at your maximum output. That's one thing that's intimidating. Another thing is that he's a really good listener. That's also intimidating because you got to say the right things. You have to be on top of your game to talk to talk to hoes. You can't be figuring it out. And if you ask him a question, prepare for an answer. And you may not like that answer. I always say to my friends, I used to like my my other my job is in sales, and I always say, don't ask questions you don't want answers to. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, it's life lesson number one. So, yeah, yeah. I can only imagine he would answer. If they ask the question, want him to give them their answer, and he's never going to do that. But so, sometimes you're in sync with Hove. Another thing, too, about Hove is that he is a joy to be around. If after you have done your work, if you come at your greatest self, he's a joy to be around. If you come wanting, if you come un underprepared or underqualified, he, you're not going to have a good experience with Hove. He's not going to placate you. He's not going to babysit you emotionally. He's not. Um, when people say all oh, the artists that keep saying he's the greatest, he is, man. You know, 
He is. There's no. Hov and I, our, both of our greatest, our favorite MC is KRS One. And um, for various reasons. Um, but Hove, as a pillar in the hip hop world and still being relatively young and still being able to do albums, you know, you're always on the lookout for what Jay Z's gonna drop. <laughs> you're always, everybody is like, whoa, what is this motherfucker gonna say? He finna say some crazy shit. I mean, I was in the studio with, with Ye. We were doing Donda. And uh, Guru texted me the verse. Ho's verse on, on jail. And I just hit him back and it was just like, it's breathtaking. It's scary how good he is. And I'll, I'll just, I'll divulge this. We was in the studio one day and I was just watching him move. We were in the studio doing 444. Watching him just dance around beats, just like it's really ridiculous. And you know, I've worked with Kanye a bunch of times, and I had already did a song with Beyonce, and just being in the studio without anybody else, just me and Hove, you know. And I just asked him, I said, "Hey, bro, just, I'm gonna ask you a question, big bro. Like, what is it for you? Like, is this like because you're rich and famous, and you know?" All the, all the bitches love you and want to marry you and wish that you were their baby daddy, their husband. Is those all the things that made you? Is it like, is that what you feel? Is that the did you put the Batman suit on and add the gadgets and just be motherfucking? Or is it like, is it simple for you? Is it just like Superman? Is it like, you have to you have to dumb it down. You have to put on the glasses and try to be regular. Which one is it? Is it bat? Are you Batman when you suit up and go out and act a fucking fool? Cause that's what it's like, you know. He's got all the cars, he's got all the money, he's got Beyonce as a wife, he's got the beautiful children, he's got the house, he's got Rock Nation. He's put people on, including Kanye. Um, yeah, he's, he's put Ye on. I mean, come on, man, you're responsible for Rihanna, for Rihanna, Ye. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's your your life is, you know, you brought. Beyonce into the into the rap world, you know. I mean, what the fuck else, man? I mean, you know, Rock Nation, you know, you know, Rockefeller, Paper Planes, the fuck, man. And so I just, you know, I asked him, "Is it Batman or Superman?" Now I didn't know which one he was gonna say. He looked at me, he said, "Superman." Then went up and got in the booth. I was just like, "Fuck, man! Of course it is. Of course he's an alien." with unlimited superpowers. As long as he avoids his kryptonite, whatever that may be for him, he's impervious. He's unstoppable. As long as he doesn't get around something that stops himself. But the Batman is always the more romantic. You know, oh, he's almost dead. You know, Superman is just like, it's almost, it's almost boring. Can I just say, I fucking hate Superman because he's boring as shit. He's this, boring. you know, tight suited guy. He's got all these ethics and you're like, come on, man, you're so boring. Even your job is boring. Journalist at a, at a newspaper <laughs> company, like you're the, the strongest person and that's the job that you choose. Like that's, it, isn't that funny that like, yeah, you're hundred percent right. That's how I've always thought of like Batman is cool. Yeah. Superman's just so boring and like even the colors he wears just like yeah. red yeah. and like the cape yeah. is just like yeah. oh come on yeah. yeah it's rough man 
But for Hope to say that he's Superman, it just changed everything because it's like he's Superman, but he uses his power to rob the bank. You feel me? Hope <laughs> <laughs> is Superman, but he uses his power to get everything he fucking wants. You know, the best label, the baddest bitch, the the, the, the most money. You know what I'm saying? Everything. He just uses his powers to get everything he wants. You know, so he said, Superman, it's like, yeah, of course you're an alien that nobody, nobody can match you because you're born different, G. Like, and it's like, like stuff he says, like on 444, he said he didn't even cognate certain things. On that future line, future thought he was dissing them, but he wasn't. He was like, in the future, other niggas playing football with your son. He didn't even think about future and Russell Wilson and Sierra. He wasn't thinking that. And I bear witness. And also, part he says, what good is a menage a trois when you have a soulmate? And soul, he was talking soul spiritually, but soul is also one. He's like, he didn't even see that. It's like, it's just, he accidentally makes some of the greatest bars in the world. And it's just ridiculous. It's just so much to deal with, you know? You know, I didn't so even much- realize that until you explained it. And I was like, oh my God, I love that bloody song. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. That song's so hard. And coming from somebody like him who could do what the fuck he wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? For him to 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 admonish himself. That's where that's why I think it's so attractive to know that Jay-Z exists. It's because he could do anything and he chooses to give us the best version of him. You know? He could be Hugh Hefner times 10. You know what I'm saying? And he decides to say, let me give y'all an example of how you want to live your life without drama. You know, let me apologize to my wife on an open album. After she lamb blasted me on her album, let me apologize to her openly in front of everybody in the world. It's fucking crazy, man. And and do it sliced, so surgical. You know, and then address the OJ Simpson shit, you know, still nigga. It's just working on that album with him was just like I never had a dream to be in this industry. You know, I never wanted to be in this industry. I just wanted to like sell drugs and get get money in my life. I stumbled into this industry. But working on that album was like the culmination of so many people's dreams that I that I, and, I, and I took that into consideration that there's people that dream their whole life to get to where I'm at. And I did not take the moments lightly at all. He would say, come to the studio today or get there early or whatever. Nigga, that's what I did. You know what I'm saying? If I was in the swimming pool, I got out the swimming pool and got my clothes on and went straight to the motherfucking studio. Through traffic on the one-on-one or whatever, did not matter. Because to see it happening was insane, you know? And it's so different than working with Ye. That's why when we worked on um on Watch the Throne, those both styles together was so weird to see, man. But it distilled some of the best music ever. It's weird, man. But uh one other thing about Hove is that when everybody says, Yeah, he's the greatest, he's the greatest, he's the greatest, is that he fucking also knows it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He fucking also knows it. Is but he doesn't. Put it out there. It's not front facingly, but if you challenge him in any way, he's gonna be like, "Wait a minute, I'm whole, G. Like, be clear what the fuck this is." 
I'm better than everybody. That's how he approaches it. But that's also interesting because that's how Ye approaches it as well. Like I'm better than everybody. And those two things, you know, and I, I don't think, you know, that there's a metrics on that because you look at hit records, you got to put Drake in there, right? You know, Drake has more big songs than either of them, but Drake still looks up to both of them. So it's a strange. But it's also the industry that looks yeah. up to Jay yeah. more than Drake. Yeah. Yeah. Like all yeah. the people I speak to, they're like, hey, you know, Drake, he's a fantastic artist. He mm-hmm. can rap bars, he can sing, he can do it all. Mm-hmm. But when I think about who I want to be, yeah. I want to be Superman. I want to be Jay Z. Yeah, I don't want to be Drake. And I'd take, I'd, I'd swap places with Drake. Don't get me wrong. I'd swap places, click my fingers. I'd be Drake right now. Right. But if I had to choose Drake or Jay Z, ninety nine point nine nine percent of artists, they're going to choose Jay Z. Yeah, no question. Yes, yeah, it's just, it's just the truth, man. It's a certain kind of swag that he has, a certain type of. Uh, uh, astuteness that he has. He's very present with everybody. You know, it's hard to get that with an artist because by definition, you know, an artist is to be self-absorbed with their art, you know, and he's not like that. And you immediately understand the difference between him and other artists when you're his presence, because he's, he leans into conversement with people and it's intentional and it's palpable. You know, yeah, and he's he's a big giver as well. He 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 gives you stuff, and he allows you to experience your own self in his space. Even though he's in full control of that space, he allows you to experience your your existence, and that's that's rare. You know, I, I've been with a lot of artists, and they don't allow that. They don't allow for you to be in that space. Yeah. Well, how did you feel? So, what did you experience? Because you know, especially when you're with him by yourself, what was yeah. the the inner kind of most powerful version of yourself? What did you experience in yourself, the growth in yourself when you were working with him? So to, I think it was to project your highest being. He was, uh, we were working on a song and uh, he said, you know, Beyonce hadn't heard the album at all. He said, I'm going to go home tonight and play a couple songs for her. And uh, he went home and played songs. And he came the next day. He said, yeah, she want me to change some stuff. I'm like, what? These songs are perfect. Like, He's like, nah. So I played the verse. We did a song. Well, first he said, Become, being the husband I'm becoming. She said, no, not the husband you're becoming. The husband you've become. And that taught me so much that through vicariating through their interactivity, it's like, oh yeah. When you're trying to become some something, you already are it. You're just the smallest version of it. And that's what taught me. So I don't say that I'm trying to learn to produce. I just start calling myself a producer because I was already producing. Now I'm a producer, like not trying, I'm just becoming better, you know, not becoming a producer. I mean, I'm a producer. You know, um, I'm a guitar player. I'm not trying to become a guitar player. I am a guitar player. I'm not trying to be a singer. I am a singer songwriter. And that taught me something that nobody had ever taught me before. That in the doing of it is the being of it. 
I, I might not if I go to school for computer for computer uh for computer science. I'm a computer scientist. I just haven't graduated yet, and it it helped me so much to see to see that, and also that he gives people permission to look into his life as a book, as a study guide. You know, it's rare, man. It's rare, and you know I'm autistic and shit, so I'm I'm weird and socially awkward. So I might do something wrong, say something wrong, and he's tolerant of that. I don't, I can't tell when I'm being socially awkward because of my autism. You know, I can't tell when I'm being a weird person, and he tolerates that. You know, I might gaze at people too long because I'm trying to figure out something, and you know, he's tolerant of that, and I appreciate him for that so much. You know, um, I'm always surprised when. I do interviews and people ask me more about Ho than they do about Ye. And I think that's because Ye has already told you everything about himself. He's already told the world everything. There's nothing, nothing there's nothing that's mysterious about Ye. And I think that it's because Ho, no, not that he holds anything back. It's just that there's so many quadrants of him, you know, and each person has their own experience kind of, kind of, Ye's experience is like is like across the board and unicific. And each interactivity with Hove is special and unique. So I think that's why, and it's always it always wigs me that people ask me more about, about Sean Carter than they do about Kanye Omari West, you know. I think it I think there's a couple of reasons why. The first is I think you're right, there is more mystery with Jay. Because the things he lets you see of his life is exactly that. He's letting you watch through a window of this piece of his life. And the rest, you don't get to see right now. You have to wait. That's why 444 was such an amazing project. Because it gave us a window into his life and that song where he's talking about his mistake. And how he's a bad husband. He feels ashamed for the person he is showing to his kids. Yes. That's a window into the soul that we don't see very often in many people, let alone with him. And so when you see that, he's like, I'm going to let you digest that. I'm going to close that book. You can read that book. That's yours for now. Yeah. And then maybe there'll be a different book. And so you're wondering, like, all the things I know, I still don't know a lot. And you're right. With Kanye... He is so out there and he is very open with his opinions and and so it becomes less interesting because we've seen everything that you are and we see the fallibility and we see the weaknesses and to a certain extent, especially now, uh, it's been difficult to watch him go about what he's doing because we're seeing the flaws in his character and the flaws in who he is and we've all got flawed, but the the way he's gone about it and the inability to view himself yeah. the way he's being perceived is also a frightening part of, of him where he is in his journey. And, and you can see it in his relationships. You can see it in the content that he's speaking about. So I think Jay has been more careful and more precious with the things he gives the fans even though he gives a lot, he's more guarded. And to be honest, like 
how many people would want to tear down Jay-Z yeah. because of jealousy or because he represents yeah. everything that they couldn't do. That's true. So it makes sense to me, but I think that's why I think you touch on a good point. I think EA hasn't done a good job, especially in the past few years of, of really dealing with, with some demons. And now that we see the demons, we're like, this ain't the guy I thought he was. Yeah. I mean, he's evolving too. You know, I talked to him, you know, um, probably more in the last three months than I've ever talked to him before. I think people have a misnomer about Kanye and I, or Ye and I's relationship. We're not friends. People keep saying, oh, you're a friend. Get your friend. Talk to your friend. We're not friends. We're brothers. And I love him. You know, I love him because he's my little brother. He's just different. And Jay is a big brother to me. You know what I'm saying? So I'm kind of stuck in the middle between them two. And there's been several times where I had to come in to middle and actually, you know, um, serve as intermediary between the two, between their relationship. And it's really strange because Hove is always calculated. Nobody can be even kill all the time. We understand that. But he's always calculated about what he says to me to tell Kanye. It's always, hey, this is, be- and this is because of that, Malik. And this is only because of that. And this is only because of that. And this, and he gets, creates this tapestry and I'm able to go to Yam like, this is what Ho said. This is how we got to move. It's got to be this way. It's the best. These are best practices. Ho is not trying to be in charge of people. That's another weird thing. He's not trying to be in charge of people. He's a leader. And he we call him the boss. I call him the boss. We call him, we call him big homie. Call him the boss. And um, you know, working on Lemonade with Beyonce, um, and seeing Lemonade come out. And then seeing Hove not say anything. Sean Corey Carter didn't say anything in public about that. And there was some land blasting going on. And you just think about the reactionary aspect of all of us be like, I got to say something about that. He said nothing until he did 444. And it was a beautiful, eloquent bouquet of responses to all of her, her, um, her concerns and her complaints. And obviously, you know, uh, his misgivings. But with Hove, again, it's manicured. It's thought out. What does he want people to glean from his life? And I think that we need that in our world more than we need all of the other things. This is the chicken soup. This is the this is the medicinal portion. Hove is Hove is a doctor. He's a surgeon. He's a physician. You know, he's a medicine man for real. I've become so much better. I've made way more money with Ye than I have with Hove. But as a person, how I live my life, I take that information from Hove. And I, I, I know that Kanye is, I know that Ye is really going to be improving himself. I don't have any doubt that he's going to improve himself. I don't think he's going to stay the way he we saw him the last few months. I don't feel like that in any way. I feel like he understands what took place. I feel like he was in a fury and a fog of sorts. And he may have lost some of himself inside of that. 
you know, and it's it's natural. We just don't never see anybody that famous and that rich go through something like that. It's usually your cousin is having a breakdown in Oregon or some shit, or your cousin had to go to Spain for a month to decompress and detox. We never really get to see somebody do it in front of us like that, you know? So I have every faith that, that Ye is looking at what he did, looking at what he said. And I mean, you know, it's just, he's different than bro. He's different than big bro. Big bro, you know, made his big mistake in public, you know? He made his big mistake in public. And now Ye's made his big mistake in public. Hove became better for it. And I believe Ye's going to evolve and become better for it too. You know, there's some distrust, you know, that happens um, with each of with each of us when we let the public down from what our advertised, the advertisement version of us when we say who we say we are, you know? Well, I think the the difference between the two is that Ye seemed to be blinded by hate and he seemed mm. to be blinded by mm. a different thing than Jay's mistakes. He, mm. he Kanye seemed to reveal a part of himself that was like, okay, this, these things that you're saying now, they're, they're no longer th- a, a breakdown. Okay. It, everyone, I mean, we look at Britney, she went through a breakdown. She probably still is going through a breakdown, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's worried about what's happening with her. But but the the most upsetting thing and the most concerning thing with Kanye is that he seemed to have a lot of hate in his heart for a lot of people and a lot of people he'd never met and a lot of people that... And he just painted a broad brush and there were yeah. things that he said that were were upsetting to a lot of communities and yeah. the, the, I think the question will be is, and it's interesting that you're, you're speaking to him. I personally have tried not to talk too much about it because I think it's been covered enough, yeah. but I think it will be interesting to see after a period of time, I mean, he recently got married after a period of time, what reflection will do to his perception of those things and whether the feelings he seemed to express were as genuine as he will believe in the future. That's what I wonder. I wonder if that hate will still hold or whether that was something that was in the process of being manic and being lost. And, you know, he was suffering. Let's be honest. He was suffering with the breakdown of his family and the breakdown of a lot of relationships around him, but it just wasn't forgivable. A lot of the things he said. Mm. Interesting. You use the word forgivable and unforgivable. Um, I don't think that a lot of things require forgiveness from other people. Um, And Dana White said that he was like, you know, I won't forgive myself. He's like, you can't punish me, though. He slapped his wife. Which, of course, he's a huge man. There's a power dynamic. There's a size dynamic. So so if she slapped him, he slapped her back. Right. And I'm like, man, I pray to the most high that I'm never in a situation where I feel I have to slap my wife back. 
I'm praying. And I've been in situations with women where they've hit me or struck me and I've left the car, jumped out the car and ran. I've done all those things. Um, so will people forgive Dana White? I don't think they will. I don't think women will forgive him. I don't think men will forgive him. I don't think people that have women that they love will forgive him. I don't think people that, that's, I'm not talking about from a sexual standpoint. I'm just saying, I don't think people are going to forgive him for being in a position of power and size and all these other um, diamondisms. But also I don't think that, you know, even if Kanye asks the particular communities that he offended to forgive him, I don't think it's their job to forgive him. I don't think it's their job. So when we say forgiveness, I don't think that people have to forgive give him. I don't think some of the things that he did are forgivable, you know, but there's also nothing that's unforgivable. Same time, you know, um, forgiveness comes with work, you know, repent and relent, you know, repent is to repay, you know. Um, so when we talk about him being upset and angry and hateful and those for me, um, there's been a lot of hateful things in my life. And I have a lot of tons of Jewish friends. I mean, a lot. Like, I'm doing business with two Jewish guys right now. One is rabbinical. These are my friends. They're my family. I've been to Seder's. I've been to, you know, I've been to kosher restaurants where we couldn't find halal, you know, so on and so forth. Malcolm X ate at Jewish kosher restaurants and Jewish houses when he comes to Chicago. Chicago, because there was no halal places in Chicago back in the days. When people bring up, you know, uh, Ye's rants, or I feel like he's trying to feel something. He's hurt about whatever, how sensitive he is about whatever it is. And he's also, and you know, hurt people that haven't healed, they hurt people. So that's what people do when they're when you're looking at a person that hasn't done the inner work. And me and him talk about it all the time. He's quite honest about becoming a good person. He always says it's too much work. I said, no, it's a lot of work and it's worth it. Just because you can't see the immediate benefits when you're rich and you're famous and you don't have to be nice to the this is conversation we have all the time. You have to be nice to the to the chauffeur, to the maitre d, to the waiter, to the maid, to the esthetician. You can act any way you want to act to them, but all those acts are acts of impatientness. You know, you have to, in order to exist in this world with other human beings, you have to develop the virtue of patience. I find it all the time when I'm in one of my cars, even if I'm in my big car and people are, I say, okay, I have to be patient with this person. This person may be going to work. I have to kind of intimize on what their life may be like. Now, sometimes they just being rude and want to slow me down. Like you're going to drive the speed limit because I want you to, sir. That's what's, what's that interactivity? A minute, two minutes of my life. I'm fine. I don't have to develop road rage and tell them about their little self and all that shit. And I think, that's something that artists like Kanye have never really developed. When we talk about Hove, Hove was always a gifted creative, but he wasn't always an artist. 
So he developed certain nuances being in the street that you have to develop. Same thing with me. I had to develop certain nuances in being in the street. Ye didn't come through that rough side of the mouth. He had his mama take care of him. She brought him equipment. She was behind him. And this is not making excuses, nor that he needed an excuse made for him. But I'm giving you real reasons on why people don't develop in a certain way that we need them to, to adjust to their station. And I think that now he's he's starting to learn those things and I'm definitely pushing those things on him which I've always been you know which is why we don't spend any time together you know we you know the truth is bro I spend about 20 days a year with Kanye maybe like 14 days working on the album then like maybe six days on tour and that's the bulk at 365 days it's about 20 except for last year um we did Donda it was like 40 days, 45 days, the longest I've ever spent with him in our lives. And we've made a bunch of good music together, great music, 45 days, you know? So, yeah, I'd say for about 45 days, something like that. So, you know, this is a part of the discussion that I want people to understand, I want them to understand intrinsically is that Hove is not yay. And yay is not hove. And never the twain shall meet. They'll never be the same person. They have totally different experiences. You know, we sat down, I'll give you this now, get out of here. Hove sat down and told me the whole story of his dad. We were making a trap song. And we started talking about his dad. That's where the story of Atnes came in. We were making a song. Totally different. And the story of Atnes came in. The runt of the litter and all these different things and his mom and their interactivity. It's just it's crazy to have Ho explain the story to me. And I think he's since done a couple of interviews about it and shit, but that story had never been told before. It was just amazing, man, to see the difference in upbringing between these two men who I both love, who I'm a brother to both of them. And the the variable difference between their life and their view on life, their upbringing and everything, you know? So back to my exact point with Kanye, like a lot of things that he's done, I don't think people have it in them to forgive. And I don't know, and I don't think they have to. I don't think people have to forgive him. With what he said hurt them, and it hurt them deep and it made them upset, mad, sad, whatever those emotions are. They get to experience those emotions. And if they, I don't suggest holding that big of a grudge, you know, he's evolved past me because I would, I would kill baby Hitler. Yes. That's me. I'm not evolved in my love in that way where I can love Hitler. I don't have, and whenever, whenever somebody brings up Hitler, I also bring up Leopold immediately because I want people to make the correlation between Leopold and Hitler and which one is called the worst person ever lived and which one is not talked about at all. But I'm not forgiven of Leopold. I'm not. I'm not forgiven of Hitler. I'm not. Um, and if, he's love, if his love has evolved to that level where he can love Hitler, then so be it. 
if you have love and you want to spend it, spend, I do not recommend. If you want to spend love on Hitler, I do not recommend my own self. I do not recommend. I think, I think personally, most people would agree with that. I think okay. that there are a lot of people deserving love for yeah. genuine good things that they did. But he is not one of the people. In history of time, in the history of all of humans to ever exist, he does not fall under that category for the pain. And and I obviously don't want to get into this rant, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick sidestep. But I think the reason he was so upsetting with Kanye is because you speak about love. We loved Kanye so yeah. much. Mm-hmm. And people loved Kanye so much. And then yeah. when he showed that side it was almost like I love you so much and I've been so hurt by you and I didn't expect to be hurt by you in such a way. And then you didn't say you didn't say that was a mistake, I'm sorry. You stood by it and you hurt me again. And I think that's what hurt people the most is okay, you said something fucked up. But you didn't say I'm sorry and you didn't say I know I hurt you. I know that I, whatever it was. And I think that's what is the hardest part with Kanye and why, you know, even myself, I, I really struggle to listen to his music anymore mm. because he, because it was upsetting. I, I, there are countless episodes of me going, Kanye is an amazing, amazing artist. He revolutionized hip hop. He, he did X, Y, Z for a lot of people. Yes. And to be so let down by, by hate is, is the upsetting part. And so I think I think that's what it what it did. It was just like I put you in a place where I respected you and I wholeheartedly believed in you and and yes, you were troubled. Yes, but I was willing to be on that journey with you. But now you've decided that no longer are these people worthy and I'm going to hold on to that and I'm going to let hate become part of who I am. And and that I think that's ultimately what it was. When we talk about what happened, it's like it's literally mm. that. It's love and hate, hate from him, love from the fans, all of it combined. And honestly, I do hope that Kanye finds himself in a world of peace. And because at the end of the day, you know, I say this time and time again, I am always fortunate to speak to people who are very different than me. And that is a joy in my life to be able to understand people who aren't like me, who've grown up differently, who've experienced things differently. If I didn't like that, I wouldn't do this very thing that I do. And it is the best part of being human is actually celebrating our differences and meeting in the middle and then realizing, hey, you and I are not so different. Yeah, it's true. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your perspective i i know that it's been studied you know i know that you've analyzed this back and forth and i appreciate that the analytical process which is not easy for humans to do especially given the bandwidth that we all have so limited amount of um and um i like that you say you hope that he will i believe i'm past the hope part i'm i'm believed that he will come around and I mean, he'll be himself. I just want to just really see what that real self is. That's all, you know, who are you really, my nigga? Like, that's really what it is. And, um, 
I just want to respond to one thing you said about Hove that I didn't hit on and said, what does he make me feel? And Hove makes me feel proud. That's what he makes me feel. It makes me feel proud of myself. Um, and also, I mean, everybody's proud of Hove because he's the king of the earth. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's the king. He, if It would probably be like, if we had to say who's the king of the world, we'd say like, Hove or Barack Obama, and it's up to you which one you choose. You know what I'm saying? Like, who's the king of earth? You know? And then maybe, you know, um, I don't know who would be a close second or whatever, but a close, just between those two guys, those guys are A1 and A2. And it depends on how you perspectivize it. So that's what that question, I just wanted to answer that um, succinctly and saliently, that he makes me feel proud. Proud of myself that I, I earned the, the right to be in his presence. And I'm proud of him for being a shining example of a man evolving on earth when there's no compunction to him to be better than he is already. You know, he's already rich. He's done all of it. And he still betters himself and respects uh, his queen, Beyonce. You know, this is like, man, that's, that's, so that's what I feel from him. But I appreciate this time, brother. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it. Well, let me wrap up. I got one. There's one question that I always finish up on. It's going to be quick, I promise. And then we'll 100% wrap up. Um, I always, I appreciate your time and I appreciate how open and honest you've been on the show. I know it, it's never easy to really think and, and there have been pauses in the podcast and, and that's always a good sign that you think about your responses and, and you've put genuine thought in your answers. So I really genuinely appreciate that. Um, but here's my last question. It's the only question that I plan on the show. If you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of, cannot be your own music, but can be any genre of music, what would it be? The album that sort of changed my life um, sonically was Thriller. The perspective of Thriller, the rock, the pop, the early versions of hip hop infused the R&B essence that he borrowed with him from Motown and the disco elements all fused together in this cornucopia of flavor are just astonishing. Um, I listen to it now and it's stunning. I remember listening to it when I was a kid and my big brother who's deaf. So I have a, a book coming out called I Learned to Hear it Through a Deaf Man's Ears. The he would put the beat the 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 big um radio by his head and just feel the rhythms and and he would emulate the sounds as much as he could of the whole album and um seeing that was astonishing and I think if you are a person on this planet that want to understand what humans sound like, I think Thriller would be it. I love that answer. I love the reason behind that answer. That sounds like an absolutely amazing book. Um, I cannot express more how 
fortunate I feel to be able to have a conversation like we've had. Um, as I said, thank you for being so honest, for coming on the show, giving me your time. Um, people like yourself, this show wouldn't exist without people like yourself. Um, and and as I said, when it comes to to the the accomplishments that you've had, I can only wish for continued success. I mean, the the amount of work and the influence you've had on the music industry and on entertainment in general has been absolutely fantastic. And and man, I'm excited to see what else you do, what's next on your path. I will look forward to seeing you continue to reinvent yourself as you have done time and time again. Um, but man, it's been an absolute pleasure. And if you do ever get down to Australia, and I'm hoping to head over to the States at some point as well, um, we'll definitely have to do this again and hopefully face-to-face. No question, brother. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Continue success. Your podcast is excellent. You are an excellent host. You are a very thoughtful man. You are very respectful of the people that you interact with and respectful of yourself. And that translates well to the rest of the earth. It, it vibrates volumes to how people should comport themselves with one another. And I'm just grateful, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news also don't forget to check out my patreon under hip hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show bye for now